In patients with cancer, thrombosis occurs in 4 to 20% of patients and is the second most common cause of death, with bleeding occurring in 10% of patients, and this is the fifth most common cause of death. Hence, learning to balance the risk of both thrombosis and bleeding is one of the most important aspects of caring for patients with cancer. Today, our patient has experienced a thrombotic complication of a malignancy, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast written by medical residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is titled, Thrombosis in Malignancy. Time for a minute physiology. Compared to the general population, patients with cancer are at higher risk of both clotting and bleeding. Many of the same factors that increase VTE risk, such as metastatic disease, simultaneously increase the risk of bleeding. Hence, the management of thrombosis in malignancy is a unique, specialized field of study. Patients with cancer are at six-fold higher risk of venous thromboembolism than the general population, and in patients with cancer, the case fatality of venous thromboembolism is much higher compared to the general population. Patients with cancer inherently have a higher risk of clotting due to various molecular mechanisms. An important example is that cancer cells express tissue factor on their surface, which activates the coagulation cascade. Tissue factor can also travel via tumor microvesicles throughout the systemic circulation to activate the coagulation cascade in distal sites. The cancer types associated with highest risk of thrombosis include cancers of the pancreas, brain, stomach, and ovary. Patients with cancer are at higher risk of thrombosis near the initial time of cancer diagnosis and when on active systemic therapy. Many iatrogenic factors increase the risk of thrombosis, including systemic therapy with high-risk agents, include cisplatin and aspergenase, surgery, central venous catheters, hospitalization, and immobilization. Direct tumor obstruction of vasculature can also increase the risk of local VTE. Simultaneously, patients with cancer are also at higher risk of bleeding due to several factors. Direct tumor invasion of critical structures, such as intracranial malignancy, pancreatic and luminal gastrointestinal malignancies, procedures including surgeries, biopsies and instrumentation, thrombocytopenia, and medication interactions. Patients with cancer of the brain and upper GI tract are at especially high risk of bleeding. Now for our approach. Your first step is to assess if your patient is stable. If the patient has signs or symptoms of extensive clot burden, such as a massive pulmonary embolism or major clinical bleeding, they may require initial stabilization. The next step would be to take a comprehensive history. Ask whether the patient has any symptoms of VTE, including symptoms of DVT, such as unilateral extremity swelling, pain or erythema, or symptoms of PE, such as dyspnea, palpitations, presyncope, or pleuritic chest pain, and characterize the duration of these symptoms. Ask whether the patient has any symptoms of bleeding, 
including hemoptysis, hematemesis, bright red blood per rectum, melina, bruising, vaginal bleeding, hematuria, or bleeding from lines or ports. Find out whether the patient has a history of venous thromboembolism or major bleeding, or any planned procedures. Review other risk factors for bleeding and venous thromboembolism. Find out the patient's cancer history, including time of diagnosis, type, and stage of cancer, past and current treatments. Find out whether the patient has any other indications for anticoagulation, such as atrial fibrillation, mechanical valve, or antiphospholipid antibody syndrome, and whether they have any history of renal or hepatic disease. Remember, to assess the patient's performance status and review their medications to see if any interact with anticoagulants. On examination, get a set of vitals including weight or anticoagulant dosing. Assess whether the patient has calf tenderness or asymmetry. Do a full cardiovascular and respiratory examination and do a thorough head-to-toe examination to look for any signs of bleeding or bruising. In terms of blood work, order a basic laboratory panel including CBC, creatinine, INR, and PTT. A D-dimer can sometimes be used in the appropriate context to rule out venous thromboembolism based on the Wells criteria, although it can often be non-specifically elevated in patients with cancer. If the patient is actively bleeding, order a groupin screen. Doppler ultrasounds of the extremities may be used to rule out deep vein thrombosis, and a CTPA or VQ scan may be used to rule out pulmonary embolism. Pharmacological treatment options for VTE in patients with cancer include direct oral anticoagulants, also known as DOACs, low molecular weight heparin, and warfarin. Historically, warfarin was used in most patients with cancer with VTE. Then, in the early 2000s, low molecular weight heparin was shown to be superior to warfarin. And in the late 2010s, DOACs have been shown to be non-inferior or slightly superior to low molecular weight heparin, and are now often the agent of choice, with a few exceptions as we will mention below. For most patients who are not at high risk of bleeding, DOACs, specifically the oral factor 10A inhibitors, apixaban, rivaroxaban, and adoxaban, are convenient, orally administered, and cost-effective first-line therapy. Generally speaking, in comparison to low molecular weight heparin, in patients with cancer with VTE, DOACs are associated with a similar or lower risk of VTE recurrence, and a similar or slightly higher risk of bleeding. Apixaban is preferred over rivaroxaban and adoxaban in patients with resected upper GI malignancies, as we will discuss in our Medicine Minutes section at the end of this podcast. Low molecular weight heparins, including daltaparin and tinzaparin, are another reasonable first-line therapy. Given that low molecular weight heparins require daily injections and are less cost-effective compared to DOACs, you may ask, why would they be used? Low molecular weight heparin may be considered in patients with high risk of bleeding, and this is based on a number of considerations, including recent life-threatening bleed, high risk of GI bleed, unresected luminal upper GI cancer, high-risk intracranial lesion, platelets less than 50, 
liver dysfunction, or antiplatelet use. Low molecular weight heparin may also be considered in patients with contraindications to DOACs, significant drug-drug interactions with DOACs, decreased GI absorption, weight of over 150 kilograms, or severe symptoms from extensive clot burden. Warfarin may be considered if there is severe renal impairment, with the caveat that selection of anticoagulation agents in patients with a creatinine clearance of less than 30 is a multifactorial and individualized decision and has the additional disadvantage of requiring ongoing INR monitoring. Overall, selection of an agent requires discussion with the patients about their willingness to accept the risks of bleeding versus recurrent venous thromboembolism, their goals of care, factors affecting patient convenience such as once versus twice daily oral dosing, daily injections and frequent INR checks, the availability of reversal agents, and cost. In terms of duration of anticoagulation for venous thromboembolism, since active malignancy is considered a persistent risk factor, in most situations, anticoagulation should be continued for at least three to six months and often indefinitely, or until six months after cancer remission, or until there is a major bleed. There should be ongoing follow-up to reassess the risk of VTE versus bleeding. There are ongoing trials investigating dose reduction after initial 6 to 12 months of anticoagulation. However, this is not yet the standard of care. It is also important to note that subsegmental PE and distal DVT, which do not always warrant treatment in patients without cancer, generally do warrant prolonged treatment in patients with cancer. Finally, we will add a brief note on venous thromboembolism prophylaxis in patients with cancer. VTE prophylaxis should be considered in most hospitalized patients with an active malignancy and at least one additional risk factor on the PADUA score, which is a score involving several clinical variables to predict the risk of VTE in hospitalized patients. In outpatients with cancer, VTE prophylaxis should be considered in patients with a corona score of over or equal to 2, based on recent trials demonstrating that low-dose DOACs decrease the risk of thrombosis in high-risk patients with cancer on systemic therapy, at the cost of increased bleeding risk. This is based on the AVERT 2019 and Cassini 2019 trials. As always, the risk of bleeding and VTE must always be balanced, and the patient's preferences taken into account. If in doubt, Consider consulting a hematologist or a thromboembolism expert and liaise with the patient's oncologist to understand future treatment plans. The Caravaggio trial, published in New England Journal of Medicine in 2020, is a randomized controlled trial that showed that apixaban for the treatment of venous thromboembolism in patients with cancer is non-inferior to daltaparin in reducing venous thromboembolism recurrence and has similar rate of major bleeding, including major gastrointestinal bleeding. This trial, in addition to the SELECT-D trial using rivaroxaban and the Hawkeye trial using edoxaban, has established the role of DOAX as the go-to drug for the treatment of VTE in most patients with cancer. In upper GI cancers, while rivaroxaban and edoxaban are associated with a higher risk of bleeding compared to low molecular weight heparin, 
apixaban is not associated with a higher risk of bleeding and is therefore the preferred agent in this population. The Canadian expert consensus still advises to use low molecular weight heparin in unresected luminal GI malignancy and to transition to apixaban after resection. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Thrombosis in Malignancy. This episode was written by Dr. Kevin Eugene Fan, internal medicine resident, Dr. Helena Danko, hematologist, as well as Dr. Ed Etchells, general internal medicine. The Internet Work series was created and executively produced by Allison Lai, alongside executive producers Zara Morali and Leah Karanopoulos. This podcast was produced and recorded by Zara Morali theme song by Laxman Zavantha Mohan. If you liked this podcast, please like and subscribe at wherever you get your podcast. Please also take a look at our website, theinternetwork.com, for an associated infographic. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon.